The scripture for this morning comes to us from uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 20. We're going to be reading from Matthew 20, beginning at verse 17 through verse 28. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Peter. Our text is that last verse where Jesus says that he did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we begin our services in preparation for our remembrance of Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And Jesus is speaking about it right here. In Matthew 20, he is talking about those exact events. He is on his way to Jerusalem, but then he takes his disciples aside and he presents the most important thing. He says to them, yeah, we are going to Jerusalem, verse 18, but he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over the chief priest and teachers of the law. They will be uh, condemning him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and flogged, beaten, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised to life. So this is exactly the magnificent truth of Easter that Jesus is talking about. He is speaking to his disciples that he will die and rise 
to save them, to save us from sin and death. Now that truth is, is difficult to get across. And so in the Bible, and Jesus himself seeks to communicate that to his disciples several times, already earlier in Matthew, and even as the events of Good Friday and Easter unfold, they, they find it difficult to understand this amazing truth. And so even in this passage, immediately after he shares this with them, then, then they are off again on a tangent in relation to who is the greatest and, and their own sense of, of getting ahead, a worldly sense of the kingdom that they think Jesus is bringing when he's doing so much more. And so this reality confronts us again too as we prepare, as we think about Good Friday and Easter and think about what is all involved. Think about the amazing truth the Bible is trying to communicate to us and to encourage us through. The Bible uses various words various metaphors to, to help us understand, to enter more fully into what is actually going on, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing. There's a lot involved. That's kind of the sense of our, our Lent service. We're going to look at what's all involved, and that's also the sense of our, our Easter display here. It looks like maybe somebody emptied their pickup truck here on our front uh, church here. But this is actually our official display for Lent and Easter. It, it, it looks fairly random. It, it has just a few items you, you might start to see some familiarity. But the point is that, that in the events that are taking place, there is... There is a lot of things that are involved that, that we have to just pause to understand and that, that to bring the things together of all that's involved, uh, what exactly Jesus has done and is doing for us, how exactly that all takes shape in our hearts and minds. So through the weeks, this particular display is going to be changing every week. And the details of what Jesus is doing will, will more clearly come to light and through the display changing and through our worship and through also the preaching of the word that we would be more in tune fully with all that God is doing in this saving act of Jesus' death and resurrection. This morning, we are going to look at the first word, metaphor, understanding, and that is the word ransom. Jesus ransomed us. Through Good Friday and Easter, he paid a ransom for you and for me. That's what he says here in our text. He says, he came to pay a ransom for many. That's what he did in his death and resurrection. Have you ever really thought of it that way? 
Has that ever really come to mind as you're thinking about, yeah, Easter things, the sense of ransom? That's what he did. It's not something that we think about that often, though we do sing about it often. For example, at Christmas time, we sing about it already. 328, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That's what we want the Savior to come and do. 479, I will sing of my Redeemer. The second stanza, I will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save in his boundless love and mercy, he the ransom freely gave. That's what he did. That's what he was doing for us on the cross. 475, first verse. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet your tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. They add ransom. That's one way of understanding. That's one way of looking at it. That's a rich and, and full understanding of what exactly happened on Good Friday, on Easter. That reality picks up on the truth of the Bible that speaks about ransom in various passages in Job already. Job recognizes the struggles that he is facing. And in Job too, Satan has come and is is attacking Job. And Job asks, have I said, give something on my behalf, pay a ransom for me from your wealth, deliver me from the hand of my enemy. There's that that picture. He has been taken hostage by Satan and, and he calls for a ransom. Psalm 49. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is very costly. So that, that picture, lives need to be ransomed. The prophet Hosea in chapter 13 is, is bringing the word of God and God is saying, God is speaking, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. That's what God is doing, ransoming us. In the New Testament, Timothy talks about it in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So that, that truth comes forward in Jesus' own words, Matthew 20, 28. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. So what is that all about exactly? What does that really mean? How can we understand that? Let me tell you a story, a ransom story, a true story that happened about five years ago. It happened in a family, in a family that used to attend this very church. Someone from this church was ransomed. It's the Lindhout family who was part of this church early on when it started. Those immigrating from Holland and coming to Lacombe, the Lindhouts came to Lacombe and were part of this church. And their granddaughter, Amanda Lindhout, she was ransomed. 
she was working in Calgary. She grew up in Sylvan Lake, and she was working in Calgary, and what she was doing, she was saving her money, and she would go traveling. She loved to travel. She always had that sense. And so, so 22, 23 years old, she would go to different places, and she would just visit. And as she went traveling through the world, she went to India, she went to Europe, she did some traveling, and then after a while, she got the sense, too, of, of well, to go to places that were in turmoil. And then she, she actually went to Afghanistan, just traveling there in an effort to understand better herself what was going on. And then she also began to uh, help with some news reporting, trying to get the story out of people who were struggling, of the, the difficult things in this world, of the brokenness and the pain. And so she kept doing that. She went to Iraq as well during the difficult times. And then in 2008, she decided to go to Somalia. And in Somalia, there was a civil war and everything was very dangerous. And she went there with Nigel Brennan, who was a photographer, and they decided too that they would try to make a difference here, that they would try to bring out the story of the people who were suffering. And so in August 2008, August 28, they were, they were making their way to a refugee camp, and they were going to see the people there, and they were going to collect the stories of the people there, and they were going to publish those so that the world would know what a difficult situation that was. And on that day, there was a group of terrorists who were planning to kidnap and hold hostage some reporters from the National Geographic Society who were doing some, some general work there. But that group heard the threat and took other actions. And Amanda and the gentleman with her, Nigel, they were captured. They were just on a dusty road, and all of a sudden, folks came out, took them, threw them in a vehicle, drove them away across the desert, and hid them away in a little house, in a little village, in a dark room, no windows. And there, all of a sudden, they were caught, held. That reality grew into just surviving. In August, they were held, they were captured. Through September, the hostage takers tried to figure out who exactly these people were. In October, they contacted the Lindhout family and they demanded a ransom. Two and a half million U.S. dollars. 2.5 million U.S. dollars. That was the price. That was the ransom. If you pay this, your daughter will go free. Well, they couldn't pay that. Amanda's mother, a single mother, the family, they couldn't do that. And so she was held through, November, through yeah, October, November, December, January, February, the government tried to intervene, the Canadian government, but things very, very complex in Somalia. There was efforts to, to 
negotiate. That was all, all broke down. And through that time, Amanda was simply held and, and initially held fairly, fairly decently, but that began to deteriorate. And at one point, she tried to escape, and after that, her, her time, too, was, was constant, constant beatings, uncertainty, torture, uh, very little food, very little water, just, just kept chained on the floor in a room day after day, week after week, just awful, held for ransom. What, what is that? When you are held for ransom, awful, terrible, difficult, difficult situation. There was, uh, she writes about it in her book, she talks to not just the physical trauma, the, the psychological trauma, that, that at any point, uh, one of the hostage takers would either come in and beat her or, or rape her or, or, or do some other violence to her and just, just laying there, even when she was laying there not experiencing anything specifically, there was just always the fear, what will they do next? It was just terrible. In the end, after six months, there was a... Uh, uh, they changed the ransom, they dropped it to a million dollars. And that went on for a little while, that was March. And then that did not get any results. And then in June of 2009, then, then they actually, they, the, the hostage takers uh, tortured her severely for a number of days. And then and then they had her announce, send a message to CTV News here in Canada, CTV News. They had her speak. And of course, her, her whole body was broken, her voice, mentally she was. And so she spoke in complete anguish. Please help me. Please pay the ransom. And this, this came across in June. And, and all through the time, the government had, had kind of, yeah, they couldn't really do anything more. Uh, her family kept trying. Her mother kept trying. Get through, get across. What can we do? And in the end, there was uh, opportunity made for funds to be transferred and that she was finally able to be released. The ransom price was $600,000. $600,000 was paid to the hostage takers. What happens when, when $600,000 is agreed on and is actually paid? What happens when the ransom is paid? I mean, she was, she was nothing anymore. She was just skin and bones, ill. Uh, her hair had fallen out. Her teeth were falling out. Everything was just... What happens when the ransom is paid? She, she writes about the day. When the day came, they, they, they took her, they washed her, they gave her a new dress. They, she still wore the, the, the covering, the Muslim covering. But right away, everything changed. They took her, they fed her, they put her in a car, they took her to the airport, and they sent her home. Once the ransom was paid, 
She was free. Everything was good. She was uh, uh, held for ransom for 460 days. As a captive, she was doomed to die, and she knew it. But once, once a ransom was paid, life, freedom, joy, thankfulness, I tell you the story because the Bible tells us you have been ransomed. You have been ransomed. You don't, you don't feel that so much. You and I, we have been ransomed. We are held hostage in sin. We are held hostage. The understanding of, of what Jesus has done for us here is that he paid a ransom. And in the, in the church, in the, in the Christian church, for the first 1,000 years after the book of Acts and, and the church uh, was established, and for the first 1,000 years, the main thought in the minds of everybody sitting in the pew the main thought, when you talked about this and Easter, they would, they would put all the stuff together in their mind, in their heart. Every believer for the first 1,000 years would say, Jesus ransomed me. That was the first, that was the main thing. That was what would be talked about at Easter all the time, in every sermon. Jesus ransomed us. We don't, we don't understand that. We don't talk about that so much. What, what is that saying? We were held hostage to Satan. In Genesis 3, when it talks about the fall into sin, Satan took us hostage and kept us in the dark. That's why the Bible talks about the darkness and the pain of sin. Satan also likes to beat up on those he holds captive. And so biblically, too, the stories that, that uh, uh, Harriet shared, even the very first story where, where Cain kills Abel and Satan is laughing. And, and this is torture. This is pain. If anyone loses a child, if any parent loses a child, say, what is that? That is Satan beating on you. Because he has, he has us hostage. And he's just having fun with you because he wants you to, to deny God. That, that reality is still here. We are still under that sense of his captivity. He tries to beat up on us in all kinds of ways. He bruises us. He knocks us around. He knocks a barn down. He lets long-term illness enter in. Satan holds us hostage. Satan also likes to starve us spiritually. He offers us all kinds of things in life. He says all kinds of empty pleasures, all kinds of time-wasting things. Satan says, oh, do this, do that. It does nothing for your soul. It kills you. And he just keeps feeding you more. But it's, it's empty. It's empty calories. There's nothing there. Satan likes to rape us with sexual temptation, 
with selfish desires, with bodies used in sexual ways that bring no pleasure, pornography, affairs, sexting, trying to destroy our heart, our mind, ourselves. This is the reality. Satan likes to chain us, bondage to addiction, to things like alcohol or drugs or substance abuse, to things like bad habits, ungodly interests and activities. And especially, Satan likes to hold us in fear. What's he going to do next? What's going to happen next? Am I going to get sick? Is something going to happen in my marriage, in my family? What's he going to do next? And you live fearfully every day. You always wonder, what's going to happen? Something's going to break down. It's not going to be good. All of these things are the reality of our condition, hostages to Satan, caught in sin. That's already back back already at the very beginning of the whole Bible, the sense. One example is the, the story of Jacob. When, when Jacob comes to Egypt and, and Joseph introduces him to Pharaoh, and you think of Jacob's life, and, and Pharaoh asks Joseph, or Jacob, what, what is your life like? And Jacob says about his life, my life, my whole life, all 120 years, was short, and it was difficult. It was difficult. There's a reality, a basic reality of the struggles we face in this life. Sin, sickness, brokenness, pain, sadness, death. The reality that we are held hostage is expressed in Galatians 3, 22. The scripture declares, the whole world is a prisoner of sin. 1 John 5, 29, we are under the control of the evil one. In Revelation 12, verse 9, he leads the whole world astray. Satan comes to Jesus in Matthew 4, and Satan tempts him in the desert, and Satan says to him, all the kingdoms of the world are mine. I've got them hostage. That's the biblical picture we're seeing here. When Jesus comes and says, maybe, maybe, but I will pay the ransom. I've come to pay the ransom. And when you pay the ransom, the hostages have to be set free. So that's the picture. That's just one aspect. We'll look at other aspects through the next number of weeks. Just focusing on in this aspect, uh, there's, there's much, much more involved in everything, but, but just to take hold of that touches our hearts in terms of, yeah, what is, what is life worth? What is our life worth? What would you pay to set a family member free? What would you do to, to release someone who was a hostage? The Lindhout family did everything they could. Jesus pays the ransom for us. It cost him everything. Leaving heaven, entering our condition, suffering at the hands of the evil one. 
It says in our catechism, summing up the work of Jesus, it says he suffered every day of his life. You think during Jesus' 30 years, he was just having fun. No, he suffered every day. And then it goes on that he suffered especially on the cross for our sins. He suffered especially in his death enduring the anguish of the cross physically, but also especially spiritually, taking all the sin on himself. It cost him dearly, if we would say money, millions, millions, billions of dollars, to pay the ransom for us. So this is what we remember at Easter. This is who we are. We are those living in the reality of a sinful, broken world where Satan still upsets and and tries to destroy and ruin and hurt. And he's very successful. People leave the church. People say, oh, God is nothing. God is no good. I've been hurt. I'm leaving. That, That message comes always from Satan. You can't trust God. He's no good. There's no God. He doesn't love you. Look at all the stuff. We recognize the reality of the struggle. But at Easter, we recognize Jesus Christ gave his life to set us free. You have been ransomed by Jesus Christ. So that reality changes everything. You are set free. You are set free. You don't need to fear Satan anymore. He cannot, he cannot take you out of the hands of the Father. You do not need to be anxious or worried in a hopeless sense. There are struggles, definitely. There are temptations, definitely. But our Savior, our Lord is there. We are able to resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you take hold of that truth, Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you have set me free. Jesus, I want to follow you. That is the step out into the freedom, into the light, out of the rat race, out of the godless uh, human existence, into a godly, joyful, thankful life. Even in the difficulties, he is there. And through them, he provides. And the many wonderful things he provides. We take hold of that. We believe this is what has happened. Though we don't see it all clearly, though we can't explain every detail exactly, we, with heart and mind, thankfully, put our hope in God. We try to grasp more fully what God has done for us in Jesus, and we try to respond in humble thanks, giving ourselves in humble service for our Lord. That's one footnote in terms of the story of Amanda Lindhout. She, in response to her freedom, could have said, yeah, those lousy guys, and and totally, totally awful, terrible, hate those people, those Somalis, never have anything to do with them anymore. Her response has been to start a foundation that supports Somali people. 
her response, now that she's free, is to minister thankfully, joyfully to those still, still caught in that terrible situation, still caught in that difficult situation. She is, she is trying to reach out, and, and through her foundation, she is trying to, to change the hearts and lives of people there. And that's what we are called to do. When we see that we've been set free, that, that we would go out to a world in need and say, hey, Jesus sets us free. When you put your hope, your trust in him, he has ransomed you. He has set you free. He has paid the ransom. And that they would join in giving thanks to God. Amen. We want to sing a song of thanksgiving. A beautiful song, familiar song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And the very last line, the very last word, He has paid our ransom. We'll stand to sing.